Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 35 of the Cast of Call, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I've said that 35 times. Literally every time it's a struggle. (laughs) (laughs) I got it on the first try, so I feel like I'm growing as a podcaster, but it's still never easy. I'm your host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my quartet, the one and only DJ. I'm alive from quarantine headquarters in Washington, Vancouver. Welcome to the team. Wow, I'm alive um, in quarantine in Castro Valley, California. Woo! <laughs> How is quarantine treating you, my friend? Are you uh, hanging in there? Building, uh, building my machine inventory in my garage. I uh, got lasers and CNC machines up and running and uh, uh, doing more house remodeling projects. So It is amazing what I like, – because I'm friends with you on Facebook and you're like – post all of the stuff that you and your wife are working on it blows my mind i feel like such a deep sense of accomplishment when i fold the laundry like (laughs) yes i am a grown-up and i am getting shit done and then i look at you and you're like we are building a house from scratch today (laughs) it's like amazing and shaming but also just like fun to watch (laughs) i'm custom i'm currently custom designing a floating guitar stand where Ooh. it'll be like sort of like one of those lamps that hangs over your couch. And so it'll have a thin, small base and then a really wispy arm that goes all the way up and then hangs out into the middle of the air and your guitar hangs off of it. Okay. That's well, also interesting to look at. I definitely want to see pictures when you're done. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you're staying busy. Yeah. I, I cannot report any major, any, I, my small, my smaller projects continue. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so today we have a fun episode planned. We're going to be continuing our journey through the Wastelands with an in-depth conversation about the Wastelands, Book 2, Lud, A Heap of Broken Images, which we finally get the name for. Like, they straight up say this in this chapter, which is fun. Chapter 5, Bridge and City, sections 26 through 30. And we're going to wrap the show up with something we have we did in the past that we haven't done for a while, because for a long time, our, our gunslingers were just, like, cruising along by themselves. We are bringing back the dream casting. That's right. We are going to, with the help of people from our Facebook group, cast the TikTok man and Gasher. I noticed we avoided any of the uh, the little folks that were running around previously. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess we could have done like Maud and jeeves but i don't know that they're like iconic enough that we need to cast them unless you were doing some weird stunt casting just to get like weird cameos in but Mm. but like i feel like gasher and tiktok man stick around right so well not stick around but like stick around (laughs) long enough that they just they have a little bit of an arc so they're they get cast and also i hadn't thought of it before so (laughs) (laughs) and that's the real tea right there because i was like what should i put in the facebook group and i was like oh we should do a dream casting yeah so maybe we'll maybe if we have another week where i can't think of a question oh we'll cast monjis (laughs) keep that in the back pocket (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right so before we head deeper into this uh, for those of you who may have just stumbled upon our podcast for the first time can you let our listeners know what our spoiler policy is? Listen, guys, uh, we have a two by four that we lay down 
and we put an arrow next to it that says, do not step over this line. If you do, you might get hit by construction work that's going on at my house. So that is the warning <laughs> you will get when we get to the point where you could be cocked in the head with a giant hammer, and that would be the spoiler zone. So stay away from the spoiler zone, and we will give you plenty of space and a safety rope to cross so that you're only endangering yourself and no one else. Yeah. So I'm going to translate that. What that means is we're going to cover anything in this section and anything up to the section of the book, but nothing beyond. Oh, that's way more clear. <laughs> no, that this is I'm I'm the I'm the DJ whisperer. You know what I mean? Like I'm like are you. It's like we're a, a a soothsaying duo, right? Like you spout the things from the the ethereal plane, and I translate them. <laughs> Nonsense and regular words. Got it. Yes. All right. So we did get a new iTunes review. As always, we love to hear from you guys on iTunes. It means a ton to us when you leave us a review on iTunes. And to thank you, we read them on the podcast. I just repeated myself. Anyway. I think so. so all right. <laughs> I'm over-caffeinated. You know, like last time I wasn't caffeinated enough? Mm-hmm. Today I'm over-caffeinated. Like, we, we're running late for the pod today because I had to, like, shove a granola bar, in, bar inside me because I was, like, shaking from too much <laughs> caffeine. So... If there if there's a vibe today, just know that yeah, it's an artificial caffeine related one. So we got a new review from a gentleman named David. He said, "Listen to this podcast. An amazing show. Great insight and eye opening discussion. Even constant readers will learn something new in every episode." Thank you so much, David. <laughs> Did you under, underline readers three times. You know, <laughs> I will say. Um, they will learn something new. I don't know if it'll actually apply as we're getting closer and closer to what I suspect is the actual explanation for the drums. I'm starting to feel more and more shame about my conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> so keep that in mind. But but thank you so much, David. That really does mean everything to us when you're when you take the time to write us a review. Any anything for David? Uh thanks, man. Congratulations on listening to us. <laughs> No, seriously, it's really nice to hear from everybody. So um, thank you so much. Uh, we enjoy this, and this is a, a a passion project for Rachel and I. So, Yeah, definitely. All right, let's go to Midworld. Where do we leave <sighs> off? Um, I believe we had some randy folks oh, doing God. some squeezy more, squeeze. And there's more squeezy squeeze. No. Uh, because of their, their fun little jaunt and climbing exp- expose. Uh, and meanwhile, Jake has been pulled into the layer of TikTok. Uh, we haven't seen what's inside yet, but he's gone through the threshold. And Roland has been hot on his tail with Oi guiding him through the darkness. Now, mm. we had a little singing portion not too long ago in the last chapters we covered. And we cut to Roland and Oi, sort of not sure if they're going the right way in this dark and stormy tunnel. I don't know if there's a storm in the tunnel, but... Uh, they, there's a they, storm outside the tunnel, There's so. a storm coming outside the tunnel. Yes. And uh, in more than one way, but we will just save that as a cliffhanger. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, Oi and, and Roland here kind of... Um, uh, Gasher and then uh, Jake singing in the distance, which kind of solidifies that they know they're on the right path and yeah. that uh, Oi hasn't just been kind of leading them astray. He he has been smelling, but he's been circling back and so on. And once they hear that and then they hear the mechanical turn of like a, a big electric door opening and closing, uh, similar to like a submarine 
double airlock hatch type of thing. Uh, and, and that kind of gets him excited and, and Roland and, uh, um, and Oi kind of hurry forward and they reach the door where Jake has gone through. Then we cut away mm-hmm. because we don't want to, well, this is like one of those, um, have you ever watched days of our lives? Like a soap? Are you talking about like just soaps in general? Yeah, just soaps in general. Like mm-hmm. when Stephen King does this, especially in this one, it feels like the soap movement. You know, where they're like, "We're gonna give you just a little bit, and then we're gonna immediately cut away to this other thing that has some other thing going on, and then we're gonna yeah. cut away to that." And so you, you don't get... know this, but that's also very Game of Thrones. Like oh, that is, is how. Yes, yes. For those okay. poor suckers like myself that gave eight years of their life to that goddamn show, this <laughs> this definitely harkens back to that style of being like leading you up to the precipice of something happening and then like switching perspectives. Okay, yeah. so you got two stars here. So before I fly past yeah. this, lay it on me. Okay, so first I will just say that this little section, they really are starting to really drive home exactly how smart Oi is, and this pays off in coming sections. But he can. we learn here that he can use, he can pick up not just on commands like a dog, but also much more subtle commands like Roland telling him that he needs to be quiet, not like ordering to be quiet, but explain to him that he needs to be quiet. He lowers his voice, even though he can't help because he's so excited to continue to mutter Jake's name, but he doesn't do it barking, which is, again, the first sort of foreshadowing of what's to come for him in this section. When Eddie uh, gets to the cradle, and we can just roll into this, too. They've had their little Randy moment, and uh, they realize that there's no like real easy way for Susanna to get down there because it's not wheelchair accessible. So he's got to like haul her down and and they're going down into this big area and they notice that there's these giant heads all over the place. And these heads are like old judges on the wall and some of them have fallen down and they're like staring up and so on. And I I thought that was kind of interesting because we had previously seen the gunslinger as a statue as like sort of the protector. So you almost are getting this enforcer of the law and then decider of the law behind mm, the enforcer interesting. thing. And that's what I was picking up on when they kind of, uh, Stephen King kind of like burrowed in on the judges heads all over the place. So they, they wander down there and like Susanna's like, you know, make, make sure you fire off a shot so that uh, uh, Roland knows that we've made it uh, to the cradle and that we're, where we're supposed to be. And, they're still not sure 100% if they're going to end up seeing Jake and Roland again or if those guys are gone for good. And, and, and so then they, like, roll into our favorite company, Northwest uh, or North Central Positronics uh, train station. And, yep. And Eddie, before he even sees Blaine hanging out up on the top of the tracks, he's he's already had, like, the shine happen to him. And in the shine, he he envisions and like he kind of mentioned this to Susanna that oh yeah well they picked the wrong color for Blaine because he's pink and and she's like well how do you know that he's like I just know that yeah (laughs) well I think I mean isn't the implication that he's still picking up on Jake's dreams yeah yeah a little bit um Mm -hmm. but also like they all uh, and we'll get to that portion with Roland a little bit later but they all have like a little bit of of shine to them where they Mm -hmm. can kind of like telepathy their way through things or what have you and, yeah. and Su- Susanna had that those uh bouts of inspiration with the gun brat battle previously and so on so they 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 roll in 
get it what see what i did there rolling oh god <laughs> <laughs> actually i mean i kind of love this scene because she doesn't roll in right like no she, she doesn't he's or they decide to race she, um he's carrying her wheelchair but he only barely beats her up the stairs mm-hmm. and i just kind of like these reminders that like because Susanna has had kind of a rough rough go in this book you know and like every time we get back to her with the exception of kind of a really cool gunslinger scene um in the previous sections like we're just talking about this like possible pregnancy and so i really appreciated this section where we are getting reminders of exactly how badass and how capable she is even though she is someone who has a a physical disability she's not going to hold them back to the point where she can keep up with him on stairs and i think it's a good reminder to both the audience and to the you know her travel companions in this case it's just eddie of just how capable she is and how they should not underestimate her and i need these sort of character moments because sometimes i get really frustrated with the suzanne the treatment of the Susanna character not her herself so i just wanted to like highlight this moment where we got a good strong powerful badass Susanna. <laughs> so they're they're rolling up to this uh area where they finally see uh, a blaine up on the pedestal and like Eddie's getting these kind of like flashbacks to the ghost house and he's like yeah. having kind of these terrors about how he promised he would never promise himself. He would never go back to that place. And now he's essentially gone to a place very similar to that, mm-hmm. which, uh, which gets a little wacky. And I think there's, um, isn't there a, a T.S. Eliot quote somewhere in here? Yeah. Let me let me just kind of burn through a few of my notes here, so because like we're leading this into this is really long, so like yeah, yeah, let's yeah, take a break and let you hit it for sure. Let's step back for just one second for when they first get there before the race. Um, I really appreciate how Stephen King seeds world building into everything, including like subtle world building, but in the architecture of the building itself. And right. stairs and pillars. And, like, that's right. sort of the picture you're getting painted here, too. And especially with the judges' heads, like, floating yeah. around. Mm-hmm. The Eddie assumes they're judges. I mean, I don't know that we know for sure that they were judges. Um, I, think it's un- I think it's clear that they're important people, right? Especially if we apply the same logic to the statues inside to, as we did to the statues outside, where we oh, had, yeah. like, fundamental belief system around the guardian totems and then obviously the gunslinger at its center and then inside we have these you know anonymous stern looking faces that read as judges to eddie and that could very well be the case i mean at the very least there's some sort of government official i would assume um my my question was like uh, potentially they could be founding fathers or significant members of the great old ones like these are sort of the people who potentially responsible for the world moving on that kind of thing um because we don't really know who they are we just know that clearly they were people of importance some of them are kind of like broken apart and it leads to that t.s Eliot quote that you refer to and it comes from the wasteland and uh it's something Susanna says to eddie she said she quotes it saying a heap of broken images where the sun beats and the dead trees give no shelter so obviously this is a reference to the wasteland which is the namesake of this book right mm-hmm. but we start to see and you said this how things are starting to be connected right it's like we're forming this little like ladder of connection so later in the section there's something comes up that bring hark uh, reminds eddie of the time he put his ear to the box in Shardik's 
Oh, yeah, that's right. He does mention Shardik yeah, coming up here. Which, by the way, was created by North Central Positronics. North Positronics. So nice. both Blaine and Shardik are made by the same technology company. And if Shardik is any indication of how things are going to go with Blaine, like, it is not a great look for, you know, it's not a great look for these people. But also, that ties it back to the what he said, right? Which was, all is silent in the halls of the dead. All is forgotten in the stone halls of the dead. Beyond, behold the stairway, which stands in darkness. Behold the rooms of ruin. All the halls of the dead where the spiders spin and the great circuits fall quiet one by one. So we've had a lot of conjecture in the sections leading up to this as to what he's referring to. And like we thought, oh, maybe it's Dutch Hill, you know, because like that's the halls of the dead or this like guardian monster. And there's like the spiders that are spinning. Like we had a whole thing about that. And I don't think that this negates that theory because I think it's quite clear that he's also referring to this cradle. What he's describing with the stairs and with the the rooms in ruin and the the technology failing, I think is specifically referring to the room, the cradle and ultimately like this system of pathways right yeah. of which dutch hill is so oh, yeah, that's right okay I yes see what you're saying. so and then eddie goes on to have this revelation and I, i'm sorry i am getting ahead of us a little bit but like no, it no, all connects fine. so i kind of have to do it all at once has this revelation that there is like this web of decay with the dark tower at its center and it like kind of finally this first section of the book like all kind of tie like it it basically creates a through line through all these events that he is realizing that there's an interconnectedness to this like rot and a lot of it has to do with North Central Positronics. We don't know much about that yet, but I think it's worthy of paying attention to that that is a name that has been brought up almost every single time we've hit one of these places. It also underscores the idea that Eddie feels the same fear when he reaches the gate where Blaine is as he fell outside of Dutch Hill. So in the same way that there is a pull that caught, uh inspires in Jake where he knew he was on the path, there's also a sense of wrongness and fear that on an instinctual level that they have as they approach things that are like maybe involved with this like rotted web. Makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, cool. I'd buy that. I, I forgot about the Dutch Hill. I, 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 um, I, I was thinking about the haunted house and the, like the floor monster, mm-hmm. but I didn't really like hook those together very well in my mind. So right, I mean, I hadn't really either until there was just too many things in succession. I was like, it was like kind of all clicking into place. It was like the end of the sixth sense where I'm like, oh my god, it's all coming <laughs> together. All these flashbacks are like now making sense. So yes. Eddie's like kind of having this um this kind of of little mini panic attack. And then they uh, they roll into this area. They see Blaine. Uh, Stephen King paints him as like a giant pink uh, yeah. phallic symbol with mm-hmm. like gl- uh, glass eyes, like Charlie the Choo Choo, with yeah. uh, a design shape that sort of makes the windshield wipers look like eyebrows. And the other thing of of somewhat note is these. There's like mad pigeons flying about just like crashing into windows falling dead on the ground sort of raining down around them as this like crazy storm rolls in that uh is coming in behind uh uh these guys as they're coming up towards blaine so he's really painting an an ominous foreshadowed picture around Mm -hmm. them and and they get up there to like a little like futuristic past um talkie box and Mm -hmm. Susanna looks at it and is confused by it. And Eddie looks at it and is like, wait a minute. You know what we've never talked about? 
we've never actually talked about the technology from each of our eras. Yeah. And he has this sort of like a uh, moment in his mind where he's like, we don't talk about it, but she may not know that Ronald Reagan was president, you know? Yeah. And it would probably not believe me if I told her the actor was president. And, and then to him, it looks like just a normal security box, but to her, it looks like some sort of sci-fi wackiness. <laughs> so Eddie rolls up to this like intercom and this is the other one that I think is a reference that will probably be lost in one or two more generations. But the lifestyles of the rich and famous. I I, I know. There's some dated stuff in this section, <laughs> which we'll get into a little later. But, but I've this... never even forgotten. Then is it What's the guy's name from Lifestyle? Robin Leach. Robin Leach. Yeah. So, so if you don't know, um, Robin Leach used to do a show in like the early 90s where he would – he was a British gentleman that would roll into really rich people's houses and wander through them and just be like, look at how rich they are. They're yep. so rich. They're richer than rich. Here's a jacuzzi in a bedroom that's a bed jacuzzi, you know, that sort of thing yeah. oh, oh, with like a weird flamboyant tuxedo charm. And so Eddie kind of mimics him while he's talking, uh, uh, you know, nonchalantly and crazily uh, to Blaine like at at random and, and mm-hmm. at this moment they sort of assume that blaine's not not awake or, or not answering and, and eddie gets like sort of fr- frantic and a little crazed and there's a moment where uh stephen king stops and steps back and and says that you know sometimes uh eddie reminds roland of keith burt but if he would have seen him in this moment it wouldn't just remind him he would have thought he was him mm-hmm. which is a really interesting and like ominous statement and then while he's going into this diatribe about you know blaine and uh uh, patricia and their fancy lifestyle um he gets shushed and he looks over at Susanna, and it wasn't her and then they find out that there's like a, a ai baby blaine living in the machine yeah that has just shushed him and when they shush him, the giant, crazy voice of uh, of Blaine, you know, is basically like the who disturbs my slumber type of thing. Yeah. Comes barreling out. Now, I've pushed pretty far ahead again, so I want to give you a chance to... Oh, that's the perfect spot, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that pink is something that's a reoccurring color in this section. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Susanna, Susanna thinks it's ironic that Blaine the train is the pink one. Because it's typically a male name, although Blaine is actually a gender neutral name, but whatever. Um, (laughs) Patricia, however, is not. So we're going to give her a pass. But in this case, instead of it being, like I said, pink representing like softness, femininity, friendliness, kindness, uh, it's this, it's just like horrifying on Blaine, right? Because, you know, the windows make him appear like he has eyes. And then the pink, instead of making him look, you know, girlish or innocent it he it's described as making him look like he's made of flesh um which of course you and i were like haha dong um, <laughs> but it really in, reinforces this idea that blaine is not just a machine but in some ways a living thing specifically a monster because it's this massive pink fleshy long, pulsating yeah exactly eyeball, like birds crashing into it dying right it's it's just like this gross perversion of the color pink right but also it's this great blending of genres that we talked about we've talked about throughout Lud really highlights 
how these books really do kind of play with multiple um, genres. In this case, we have this like incredible feat of technology, right? This bullet train that can go faster than the sound of light. And at the same time, he's essentially a sleeping Did you say the sound of light? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) speed of sound, dude. You would think that coffee would make me think, more quickly <laughs> but apparently i'm thinking so fast i'm thinking past the speed of light the sound, of, sound light. of light yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna write that one down That's put it on a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> okay so anyway the point is it's this really technologically advanced train and then at the same time in terms of the the role that it serves in the story is it's this sleeping dragon right which is mm-hmm. very high fantasy and it's a great callback to the statues that are on top of the cradle, right? We saw the gunslinger and we saw the guard, totems of the guardians, but we also saw those dragons, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, that was a little bit of foreshadowing. And even when he is awoken, he sounds like a dragon, right? He might as well be smog. He's like, who disturbs my slumber, essentially. So that's just kind of a fun way that, that Stephen King is playing with the genres in this and playing with sort of the archetypes of both of these genres. The emergence of Little Blaine and Big Blaine is extremely triggering for Susanna, as you would imagine, because obviously this is some, like this duality of minds is something that hits a little too close to home. And I think it definitely gives you an idea of just how much trouble they are with it are, are in with Blaine, because if Little Blaine is Odetta, then Big Blaine is Detta. And now imagine Detta with like a ton of power, and that's a that's a pretty intimidating foe. So you're you're kind of screwed with that one. I I can't go further on Blaine because I don't want to spoil. Okay. Some, but uh, but I will say the the um ba- or the little Blaine, uh, he says you know don't wake him and he kind of warns him before Eddie right. finally gets him going. And the description of little Blaine is a child who's suffered abuse for so long and has still been strong enough to warn someone else that that abuse may be coming, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is just pointing to how, like, completely rotten to the core Blaine is. Yes. And and so uh, Blaine, like, after uh, uh, asking them who who disturbs his slumber and and, uh, what's going on here – they say, well, we're uh, from New York, and he's, he says, no, you're not. You can't be because that win, there hasn't been an opening to that win for forever. You know? and, and then he mentions Roland and the, the gunslingers, and Blaine knows who the gunslingers are, which I think so, somewhat supports my theory of the, uh, of the statue and the kind of like worship of the law. It, 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 maybe I'm wrong. But uh, they he also this... knows Gilead, which is interesting. Yeah, exactly. So that means that during the time of this particular, um, probably like technological advancement, there was still a cult of old timey gunslingers mm-hmm. rolling about patrolling. That's a very and like... good point. And so that to me felt like it supported my theory that they're like the monks. My theory had to die so that your theory could live. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I got from that anyway, because otherwise, why would such a technologically advanced um, fancy pants system know about 
a entire group of gunslingers that hang out on the other side of the planet. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it definitely complicates the timeline. So, yeah, which I, then again, which like, yours would your theory would solve the problem. Yes, but yeah. I can't mm-hmm. say. I, I keep hanging my hat on this, but I don't know if it's if it works out all the way through or not. I told you gonna... until I get until it's disproven, I'm a truther. I'm in. I'm so <laughs> in on the theory. The other thing that Blaine knows that I think is also really important is that he mentions that they mention they're from New York, and his response is, "No, the doors to the to there to that where are have been closed," which exactly. means, uh, you know, at some point Blaine knew about New York, could travel to New York. There was free travel between them to some extent um which explains a it explains all the concentration of familiar cars and culture and stuff in their world um but it also gives you some more like sneak peeks into what the world was like before it moved on and in that world there was like travel between the multi-world like the multiverse at least in new york which is an interesting new it's not like we've we obviously there's crossover but it's something where you have to like tear the world apart to get to it or like some magical force creates it for you like obviously like car or whatever um we've never really got an under we've i don't know that we ever get an explanation for why the doors appear other than it's just like cool but maybe as we go on we'll get that but when we've they've had to like force it it required quite a bit of work so at one point lud was able to travel back and forth between here and New York. That's like kind of big information that, that Blaine just sort of casually drops that gives us some real insight into the way the world was. And well, we've, we've kind of had some supporting details of that before um, right, with right. the like crashed plane and the yes. type and model of the plane, yes. some of the uh, uh, weaponry and insignia on mm-hmm. said devices. But didn't you like have, up until we got into Lud, the the sense that it was rare. So to me, it felt like the doors on the beach were like a ripple effect of a more powerful process. Mm. And with the whole beam system in general, and some of our theories about uh, um, twinners and and so on, Mm -hmm. like it sort of makes it feel like it was common practice to bounce mm-hmm. back and forth and around through gotcha. these other worlds. Gotcha. And because some of the worlds are fall fairly close to, you know, uh, each other, as far as like the timelines and things that are happening. I mean, we've basically been peppered with songs and, yeah. uh, well travel of course, but also, uh, just like regular old stuff that you see, like you know, farming communities that have like an old timey Western feel, and and those things also are peppered with Beatles songs, which means that either there's the thin wall theory, which is basically that no one goes back and forth normally, but every once in a while someone gets lost and end, ends up there, right? Uh, which is kind of what I was laboring under. But then there's the other theory that like. At the peak of the beams working, they were the transit system from world to world. Right. And that as the beams failed, their effect was diminished to the point where the technological approach wasn't seeing those points anymore. But the ripple effect of those connections still kind of flutters and peters around like a mirage. And I think that second one is the correct one, but I didn't. I think this confirms that 
whereas it wasn't confirmed before is my yeah. takeaway okay I, I think you're right though i think you're you're correct and i think that's gonna like prove itself out over time so, uh basically uh, blaine challenges him says that they couldn't possibly be from those places yeah and he says prove it and so eddie starts naming off uh places in new york until finally uh blaine stops them with a john wayne voice it's like okay pilgrim i believe you <laughs> and like eddie and and Susanna are completely taken aback like how does he of all people know a john wayne voice let alone like a list of prominent uh, locations to visit in new york city right so, so that reaffirms that blaine is like well and truly familiar with yeah. what the other worlds have to offer mm-hmm. and at the same time um has like a crazy madness to him deep in the machine of his positronic brain yes 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 he does and he is i mean the thing is with blaine it's kind of a little bit like the tiktok man which we'll get into in the next section part of what makes him so scary is that he can flip a switch so quickly from being Mm -hmm. kind of like truly terrifying and monstrous to kind of charming and jovial like when he's joking when he's doing like his john wayne and humphrey bogart voices it's that mercurial and unpredictable nature that make them really scary yeah definitely so any, anything else before i jump to the next section no let's keep it moving okay so rolling on now <laughs> damn it i did it again <laughs> that was actually not intentional. Uh, moving forward, yes. we now jump to Jake's perspective, who's just been drugged into the TikTok man's lair. Oh, and, poor Jake, man. Nobody's having a worse time than Jake. And I feel a little, um, I feel a little bit uh, um, off-put by the fact that Stephen King like leaves you hanging previously with the craziest room you ever saw in your entire life, and then it's like. Well, now you have to live up to that, and it really just sounds like a big open ballroom with a bunch of neon lights that probably at one point was like the underground subway entry to a major metropolitan transport center. Well, I will challenge your vision of it because it's supposed to be capsule shaped. So like there's like a uh, big dome. And, like, a dome below the dome. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are giant neon lights all over the place. And you can tell that the rugs have been haphazardly thrown into the area. But now, you've been to New York, right? Uh, I mean, years and years. Like, in junior high. Okay, well, you've been on the subway, though. Yeah. Like, taking the path down to, you know, like, Grand Central and stuff like that. Yes. I mean, it was a billion two years ago, but yes. So, those subway areas have these things where, like, you're in a corridor that maybe has like a eight or 10 foot ceiling. And then you walk out into this vaulted giant room with like other vaulted areas just off of the railings and down below you in what almost feels like a very similar description to what Stephen King is used to lay out this section. Mm, interesting. And, and to me, it almost felt like, um, have you ever watched, uh, any of the, uh, um, animes that have like a tokyo a dystopian tokyo and they're like running around in the subways Mm. and it's it's always like big and like over the top 70s neon lights like beating down over the top of everything and like a blade runner-esque um uh uh, future of too many lights Hmm. i'm like trying i mean i've seen akira there there was an art style um uh previously uh, in the early anime days where everybody had kind of like a, a bubbly, um, uh, almost basically like the uh, uh, Pit boy look. Mm, okay. 
Um, and then, like, professors always had, like, overly exaggerated big noses and wild hair and glasses. Uh, you see some of it, like, pop up in, in Dr. Eggman in Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay, okay. But uh, regardless of that, the Metropolis is probably the easiest example. When they go to the sub-tiers of Metropolis, where, like, the city is on top of this lower-level city, the feeling I got from these descriptions, at first I was like, oh, yeah, maybe they're just describing a missile silo. But what kind of missile silo has crazy neon lights all over the place? And then you're like, well, wait a minute. What would crazy neon lights mean? Well, it probably means that at one point this was like a futuristic shopping area where like people would stop oh, and grab a, a treat or you know, food before they would roll on out because – Neon signs would be, you know, the advertisements for stores and the uh, retail spaces and, and all the other things that advertising w was culminating into in like the 70s and 80s. Mm. And, and so when I was starting to visualize this, I was visualizing it. And, and uh, anybody out there who's listening to this, feel free to completely poke holes in my description or thoughts on this because I am the last person you should ask when I imagine <laughs> um, a space. Like, I thought Oi looked completely different. Uh, <laughs> Jar Jar Binks, again, yep. I have to reiterate for the yeah, listeners. So, uh, Jar I, Jar Binks. I just want to make sure I, I, I give you a firm grasp of where my creds come from, and they're not usually that good. <laughs> but in this case, I... I I feel like, um, especially with the mentions of New York previously and so on, um, that the subway is kind of what they're describing. And then Jake even mentions as he's heading into this room, and I've spent more time on this than I need to, but uh, that it, the room follows the path of the beam. Yeah. And the path of the beam is, of course, you know, the path of Blaine. And mm -hmm. Blaine is the train, and trains, you know, go above ground and underground. And so... Um, to your earlier questions about where's the technology to get to the train, um, I was assuming that you, you know, the poorer folks had to actually go slub it through the subway and mm. then like ride up to where the platform was to get on the train. Whereas the people that were of higher class and had the money were rolling around on the surface, walking up uh, pristine, you know, uh, fountain uh, mm, decorated places. With, you know, judges and giant heads and statuettes all over the place. Right. Whereas, because otherwise you wouldn't have tunnels where uh, they just lead into like open world style bunkers and, and Except so on. Except for that, like, you know, Lud was around during a long, long war, so they could have built bunkers. That's true. Or they could have converted bunk these things into bunkers. I would like to Because, I mean, it has, the, it has the double the double do like ceiling door so yeah. like it is some kind of bunker i don't know if that how it started it began its life but at this point it definitely is a bunker yeah um, and i i could be completely wrong so i mean i like i said i just kind of i took that the neon light thing to be like almost like when you look at a subway rail you know like they're all color coded on the map oh. or like on bart so to me that's kind of like the pink neon light running underneath blaine meant that this was like the path of blame so oh, like, yeah like as an underground so you're like riding the green train or the purple train or the and pink you'd train. follow the green neon light i also like because i'm like everything must mean everything i like tried to look up and see if the the lights or the colors match the guardians of the beams or that like when we get into the different like wizard glasses like it doesn't because <laughs> <laughs> there's 13 of those but we'll get into that next book um yeah 
Okay, so uh, enough of the the cave that they're rolling into. Yeah. So we finally get introduced to, to TikTok. Oh, and Ticky. He's a shirtless, like, ring around his arm, tall, big, buff dude who's playing with a knife, has, like, kind of longer hair sitting in, in what is described as, like, kind of a big throne. Mm-hmm. And he's got his leg, like, kicked over to the side and sort of a mesmerizing look to him. Yeah. And a character about him that Jake even sort of throws back to uh, his father in, like, the business tycoon-esque sort of thing yeah and and the description here um and i'm gonna jump ahead past this this coverage and just say that that's totally wrong like conan the barbarian to me okay we'll see we'll see but that's it, interesting that you went Conan. Okay, that's not where I thought you were going when we were having our pre-show oh, talk. So yeah, this so, will be fun. So Conan, like, um, at the end of Conan the Barbarian, he's, like, sitting shirtless on his throne. Yeah, that's and he, true. And he has that, like, old-timey band around his his right arm. He does have, like, leather breeches on, too, yep, I Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I got, and then with the long hair, I was like, oh, yeah, TikTok man is obviously uh, Arnold on <laughs> On a big oh throne. God. Oh God! <laughs> Whip, whipping his hair back and looking brooding. Okay, um, okay. Uh, so uh, we we notice immediate change in Gasher's demeanor from uh, uh, being like a menacing, uh, um, kind of like rapey old guy to almost being like in awe and cowardly of mm-hmm. the TikTok man, and the TikTok man kind of um, controls the room and. Jake's looking at him and realizes that all these other people look like they've given up on life and they don't have really a lot going on. But the TikTok man, he looks like he's really alive. Like every moment. Actually healthy. Yeah. And I think he says he's like vibrant or or vital or or I don't remember what the adjective was, but uh, that he actually looks like he's still in good shape. And, And even, and Jake even mentions that the rest of them don't look like they're in bad shape, but they're past their prime. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, th- there's a little bit of banter between uh, the TikTok man and Gasher. And uh, uh, then there's this chuckling girl in the background. And Oof. this is where we get our kind of first um, understanding of the weird cruelty and also like sort of lackadaisical nature of the TikTok man. Casual that, cruelty. Yeah, mm-hmm. casual cruelty, exactly. Like the mm-hmm. the girl laughs once and he glances over at her and she shuts up immediately. She laughs again and <laughs> he just like lightning fast throws a knife before anybody realizes what happens. She's got a blood spot in her chest and she falls over on the ground. And <laughs> Stephen King, I don't oh, know. Oh, Stephen, don't, don't say it. Oh. <laughs> For some reason, uh, he has to describe her as a, a, a sleeping Hispanic gentleman in the, yeah, in the corner, it's, which I, it's not I guess great. I'm not familiar with that stereotype because I, I did like probably in a Western movie, you oh. know, it's, it's, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. So, and he, he uses that over and over again. I know every time he said it, I was just like, Ugh! I was like, well, Cringe. Um, uh, anybody could sleep a hangover over on the corner you know that maybe that wasn't the right i don't know anyway i'm just matter. glad that that is like a stereotype that has is going the world has moved on from that stereotype to the point where you didn't even pick up on it i think this is a this is a nice little signpost into how of how the culture has moved forward uh, so the tiktok man just like rolls off and kills this girl 
done. She's dead. And uh, everybody else kind of is just like, yeah, well, you know, well, she kind of deserved it. He he told her a couple times that she should stop laughing. And he didn't like her, her laugh. Okay. And then he like the one, the other girl that's sort of next to her that defends her is basically like, yeah, she had that coming. And he's like, yeah, of course you'd say that if you didn't have your head up your ass, you couldn't find the thing, you know. And he's just like casually insulting yeah. the, the people this, around and, him. And presumably these are the like inner circle, circle of the yep. greys, right? And this is how he treats his inner circle. His top tier of folks. Yeah. And, and so as the girl's like falling down, uh, they almost knock over a lamp. Um, they run and grab it. We get introduced to Gasher's friend, uh, what Hoots. the hell is his name? Hoots, who had previously, foreshadowing, wrote down the password to the inner sanctum for him. Mm-hmm. And then the TikTok man suddenly gets like super fascinated with uh, Jake's watch. And he throws out this like casual but sort of poignant question that's like, is that a dipole or a unipole circuit that that thing runs on? And Jake doesn't really know what either one of those are. Are those actual things, or is that Stephen King made um, up shit? So, okay. So, t- technically, you can have a dipole and a unipole. A dipole would be if you had a plus and minus with a zero reference center. So, like, if you were running an operational amplifier configuration, you would need a plus 15 and a minus 15 for the rail voltages and then a zero voltage reference for the negative positive. So that would be uh, that would be a dipole. And then a unipole, uh, assuming uno would be one, that would be just a single polarity. So that would be, you know, a reference voltage of like, you know, 48 volts, for example, to ground. Well, let's hope the TikTok man doesn't get his hands on you. <laughs> <laughs> so those those are technic- technically okay. a- existing things. It's just not a normal um, way of describing them. Right. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair. <laughs> but th- it's not like – because there's a handful of things that are mentioned in this chapter that like I went down rabbit holes looking up trying to figure out if they were real or just Stephen King-isms. And guess what? They were Stephen King-isms. <laughs> I was like, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so so uh, he basically uh, sees Jake's watch. Um, Jake tells him, like, no, no, this runs on a nickel-cadmium battery. And, like, the TikTok man's like, uh-huh, I see that you know about the technologies. And then uh, he's like, where did you get it, you know? And, and Jake says that uh, um, his family gave it to him. And, like, for a second, the TikTok man's like, hmm, maybe I should just kidnap this kid and get more watches. And uh, then he, like, lets that little train of thought go. And so then him and Jake kind of have like a little bit of like eye eyeing back and forth where the TikTok man has like hypnotic eyes. And then Jake's like, okay, you can have my watch after you check it for booby traps. Is this booby traps? Are these tuned to your frequency? And, <laughs> and, and TikTok man, like you, you can tell that he doesn't actually know much about technology. He's just kind of like bluffing his way through. And this is where, um, uh, Jake kind of makes reference to the TikTok man and his father. When his father would roll into a meeting and didn't actually know what he was talking about, he would bluster his way through it with confidence. Mm-hmm. And that's the feeling that you get from the TikTok man. Right. And so Jake and the TikTok man are kind of like having this back and forth. And then Jake, every so often, to sort of like sidetrack the conversation, like brings up something else. And, and at first he mentions, uh, you know, he must have been your grandfather. And what he's referring to is the man that they found in the plane um, on their way into the city. And 
turns out, sure enough, it's not his grandfather, but it's his great grandfather. And he was a big man in the plane. And like uh, TikTok man is also a pretty decent sized fella. Um, and so there's that. And then they have a little more back and forth. The TikTok man gets like a little bit forceful with Jake and Jake drops the um, behold. Um, how does the little saying go? It's like behold the Lord Perth. So fell Lord Perth, and the countryside did shake with that thunder. Yeah, and as soon as he, he says that to the TikTok man, it's like a slap in the face to him, and it really uh, uh, shakes him up. And apparently that little um, little diatribe is like a, uh, a bad luck charm for the mm-hmm. grays. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, you almost – and I, again, this is me reading into it, but I, I felt a little Icarus-y with yeah with that statement right like you know your fall become uh your uh, your pride cometh before a fall or something like that yeah you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying 100 like, percent. and the and the the you know lord perth was like a bigger than life guy who like grabbed the plane that he obviously was not familiar with or mm-hmm. well versed in and like went off into the distance um but me meanwhile jake's distracting the tiktok man back and forth and he looks up in the ventilation system and sees two cute little ringed eyes staring back at him. Yay, oi! And we can say, oi, boy. Oi, boy. <laughs> yeah, I, okay, before we move on to the next section, um, I just, you know, I think Stephen King does a really good job of right away giving us a great picture of why the TikTok man is an intimidating foe for our heroes right he and he does it very efficiently right he's huge he's healthy he's relatively intelligent uh he is unpredictable and he has the speed level of speed that may even be faster than roland he may roland he may not even be able to roland may not even be able to match him in terms of speed which is definitely not something that you see a lot in midworld right um and he may or may not be able to hypnotize people with his eyes. Like it's unclear if if he if Jake is well, riveted. A... Oh, do we get an answer in this? Yeah, we get an answer in the next chapter. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, for now, we get a hint that maybe he is able to hypnotize people, and that you know when he's distracting him, it's because he's finding himself like unable to breathe because he's just like so in this guy's thrall. Which made me think about, you know, the first time Jake met Roland, there was that scene where he hypnotized him with the bullet, right? And you you kind of get a sense that there is something that there is a grain of the gunslinger in TikTok Man. He has many of the, the skills that you, you need in order to be a gunslinger, but like everything else in this godforsaken city, it's it's the wrong, cruel rotted version of it or maybe he just has all the skills to be the enemy of a gunslinger yes i mean and i i think right like you're the best enemy for a gunslinger is like the mirror image of a gunslinger right only everything turned on its head and he's also sort of what passes for aristocracy in this world you know both in his appearance and in his demeanor and like the fact that we are introduced to him while he's essentially sitting on a throne so I, I think you, I remember last time you said you liked the TikTok man and I totally agree. Like already right away, I was like, aha, not since the man in black has there been anyone even remotely who you felt was like on Roland's level, you know? So that's interesting. But after all this, where we get introduced to all the ways in which he's like pretty dangerous, 
because Jake is so perceptive, we're able to pick up on some of the ways that he's actually got some weaknesses. Despite living in this technological bunker, he's pretty ignorant of the technology around him. And his response to the Lord Perth story tells you that he also, the, the, uh, the greys are in some ways just as superstitious and ignorant as the pubes upstairs even though you would think like i said being surrounded by technology having access to like actual nutrition having access to real shelter not being out on the streets killing each other would would give them some sort of intellectual advantage but and somehow they managed to have squandered that right so those are ways in which maybe he's not as quite as uh, much of a problem as you might think at first. Now, I don't think he's going to be an easy person to defeat, but I just think that we get we get a very good picture of who he is, both in his strengths and because of Jake's perspective, his weaknesses. Now, do you think that Gasher singing in the tunnels was legitimate, or do you think that was part of the superstition that's built up that's basically made the Greys similar to the pubes? I mean, I assumed it was superstition, but I mean, we're finding out a little bit more about how Blaine operates. So it may not be, I'm not as confident in that as if you had asked me before I read these chapters, but I think probably it's just sort of superstition has weaved its way into the culture, but I don't know. I guess maybe we'll find out. Maybe Blaine likes it when he sings to him. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) A little lullabies for for Blaine. Yeah. All right, so we, we cut to Roland, who's outside the door. Roland's about um, to make me very angry, but go Roland, ahead, Roland, like, recognizes this particular style of door. It's a door that you can't open from the outside and requires some sort of button push or lever in order to open. And oftentimes it has one or two doors that seal, and you can't hear through the door either. Roland tries to use his psychic powers to connect with Jake to see what's going on in the room. And... He basically, and this is where I was alluding to a little bit earlier about the TikTok man, is while the TikTok man is using his powers, those powers are leaking through Jake and back to Roland. Mm. So Roland, when he tries to concentrate and see what Jake sees, he actually just sees the TikTok man. He doesn't see anything else in the room. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, to me, that almost felt like they were both using the psychic powers of the gunslinger simultaneously. And Jake was just caught in the middle. Mm, Interesting. Okay. And and that was my interpretation of it. It, 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 Take that for what it is. Uh, But they're, they're both focused on Jake. And so then Roland's like, well, oi, buddy, um, I'm going to need to take one for the team. There's a vent up there and you're, you're small enough. Uh, Why don't you roll in there and see what's going on? And uh, so he sends Oi up there, and uh, Oi is gone. Roland's waiting, kind of like uh, 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 nervous and not used to not being in control of the situation. And then Oi like rolls back out, and like basically proves that he knows stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, this is kind of amazing. And that he understands all the conversations and so on. And Oi basically taps his way to the number of people in there and then says, and Jake, uh, to let Roland know exactly how many folks that he is up against in that room. And then Roland basically is like, well, buddy, um, I'm going to have to send you to your death as a soldier for for good to save Jake. Roland! Uh, Why don't you roll back in there? And we don't get a statement for what's going to happen next, but what we do get is Roland whispering and repeating a set of instructions into Oi's ear over and over again. 
and uh, oi as he's like climbing back up there um it it almost seems like he knows that the end is could possibly be coming for him too i don't like it and and like uh oh i forget the exact wording but it sort of sounded like uh um remember the guy from uh uh, uh the stand my my life for you yeah mm-hmm. it sort of felt like oi was almost mantraing a little bit as he rolled into the the vents and he, i forget what the specific statement from oi is but it just sort of felt like he he had basically like said okay fine this i i'm resigned to my fate Ugh, oi is too and, and then that's world. where we leave off with oi and roland uh, yeah this this is very frustrating to me this feels like roland not learning his lesson which is very frustrating to me. Um, you know, like he almost destroyed his and another person's mind by disregarding the importance that a member of the quartet actually plays. So to send someone off to his suspected death shows that Roland is not <laughs> like he, he still sees these members of his quartet as disposable um, it's a lesson that he doesn't seem to have learned. I'm hoping that that is something that will change over time. Even mm-hmm. when he's presented with clear evidence of uh, Oi's intelligence and his loyalty, and like he's filled with gratitude for what Oi is able to do for him, he's still totally fine with. Be- I mean, like maybe he feels a pang of regret, but he's still willing to sacrifice him for another member of the quartet, which is, you know, at at the very least, pretty ruthless. And, uh, you know, also kind of short-sighted because he was put in this group for a reason, you know? And I, it's just frustrating to me because I, and that there's like big picture, like full series implications for why I'm just like, dude, learn the lesson. But also it's just a reminder of what does this mean for the rest of the content? Is he going to pick and choose who is and isn't disposable? Is anybody actually not disposable? Is it just Jake because he has guilt about letting him die before? Or would he sacrifice any member of the of the quartet without really much thought it, it i don't know it's just frustrating for me because roland has had so much growth and here we see that he's still not seeing the bigger picture well he kind of is though so and um not to be too contradictory but he actually like internal dialogue for roland is that oi is pro- possibly more of their quartet than i am right which is the other thing in section which i'm just like it, it also like fully undercut something else he said earlier but i'll let you finish this what you were saying no no that's it that's uh he he basically says like you mean more to these folks than i do you're part of their quartet and i, I am the outsider of this but i'm still gonna send you in <laughs> to to soldier away yeah. So when he goes to look through Jake's eyes, he again talks about how he is not as much of the quartet as the others, including Oi. But if you recall the last time that he talked about this, I was like, hmm, I don't know if I believe this. I feel like Roland is his own blockage, is that his reason for why he doesn't have the same psychic link that they do is because he's from a different world from them. But Oi is from this world. Mm-hmm. So what that tells to me is that his theory is inaccurate and that the disconnect between them comes down to something more psychological than it is like metaphysical of course he's he's setting himself aside like as an outsider especially if he's still in this mindset that he might be willing to treat the members of his quartet as cannon fodder yeah i i 
I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. Curse you, Roland. Get your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> and not Oi, of all people. Not Oi. <laughs> so we leave Oi and roll it into Cliffhanger. <laughs> and then soap opera style, or in uh, what Game Rachel informed is Game of Thrones style, <laughs> we uh, cut back to the other side of the wall where the dead lights or whatever the creatures are in Game of Thrones. I'm real bad. Dead li- That's it. <laughs> Well, you know, there were like the zombie hordes or something like that. I, I don't know. I, I vaguely saw one episode of Game of Thrones. Um, it, it, regardless of my bad Game of Thrones reference, uh, uh, we have Eddie and uh, Susanna back over hanging out with Blaine. And uh, B- Blaine says, ask me a question and it better be a good one. And uh, Eddie kind of is like, well, what do you mean? He, you know, he's kind of getting a little crazy, uh, not sure what to do. And and Eddie's having visions of the previous uh, um, pube that had been in the cradle who had been melted down for mm-hmm. uh, uh, not asking Blaine the correct question. I'm kind of surprised that we didn't see his remains here. I know. Well, I mean, I guess if it's like some kind of crazy arc furnace uh, laser beam thing, maybe he's just a burned scorch mark on the ground you know that's true that's true uh, I, I i can't fathom what type of technology blaine is zapping people with right, um, right, right. but we also uh note that like blaine has that sort of control over, over things which means you know they've mentioned cameras and electronics um in the tunnels and so on you know uh, what if you know blaine was like the all-powerful robot um just just positing that mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um a- anyway so uh susanna kind of like in a panic starts to like poorly recite a riddle from earlier that we had heard um and it's it's uh, how does the riddle go it's like uh what follows you uh in games and in conversation but is nothing and then she fails at it eddie picks it up and like actually says it correctly and Blaine's quiet for a second, and basically the answer to the riddle is your shadow. Right. And Blaine actually had to think for a second, mm-hmm. and he gets super excited. And Eddie's like, wait a minute, I recognize that excitement. Oh, yeah. That's All the need. All too familiar. That's yep. the need for drugs. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Blaine, the mad robot that is, who is cycling through voices and doing all kinds of weird stuff, is actually high on riddle sauce yeah yeah he's on high on his own riddle supply and so he he constantly jones for these and blaine in search of these riddles he's craving so bad asks them if they know any more and Susanna, of course like not 100 percent confidently rolls in with yeah sure we got lots of good riddles and yeah. and this is where we find out that blaine's sensors work really well he can monitor air pressure and breathing and uh, many other things that humans do and uh-huh. determine that, in fact, uh, there's a 98% chance that Susanna does not know the quality of the riddles with which uh, she holds on to. That's not good, guys. That's not good. And he calls her out on it as uh, lying to him and uh, makes sure to point out what happened to the last person that spoke false statements to the mighty Blaine. Uh, okay. He is now a scorch mark. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, more birds are diving and falling to their death around them. And well, I love that because you get the sense that like they're being driven mad by whatever like electromagnetic yep, exactly. thing is building in the room. Yeah, and you actually took the words right out of my mouth. The uh, you know electricity, giant robot, 
magnetics and birds going crazy. Yep. Um, if you uh, really want to see a travesty of no. bird damage, uh, go look at, I believe it's uh, Austin, Texas, where like 150,000 birds are messed up and died by microwave uh, radio transmissions oh, and tall buildings no. every migration season. Oh, uh, God. Anyway, uh, not to get too depressing on the bird carnage, uh, but Blaine uh, basically is, is getting pretty pissy with them. Mm-hmm. And then Susanna has a little uh, inspiration, and she says, you know, well, um, Roland had to memorize uh, these these uh, riddles from, from when he was young. And then she realizes, like, she could never actually visualize a young Roland because he's just, right. like, <laughs> only an old Roland to her. It's and- like when you, like, in movies where they're, like, they make the body small, but they, like, CGI the old face on it. Like, that's <laughs> Roland. <laughs> <laughs> and then they also let slip to uh, uh, Blaine that um, Jake has a book of riddles from New York. And this seems to really excite Blaine because it sort of makes you feel like um, he has only had exposure to midworld riddles and that he would really love some fresh material from a different planet or mm-hmm. different uh, um, twinner world, whatever. Right. Like that. that... To. The appeal or the promise of unheard riddles from another world is like, like basically riddle crack, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, these sections really give you an overall, I mean, throughout these sections, you really get a clear picture of why each of the members of the content is so essential to the quest. Mm-hmm. Like they each bring either a different skill or a different understanding or life experience that give them the kind of insight that they need to get the upper hand on whoever they're facing, whether it's individually or collectively. If for instance, Eddie recognizing that, that need in Blaine's voice or Susanna immediately picking up on the duality and what that actually means for the mental health of Blaine or just the perceptiveness of Jake being able to pick up on all kinds of subtle things about TikTok man instantly. Like they all have this very specific skill set that when they come together, make them so incredibly powerful. And a lot of them are things that, that Roland had, but other things he does not. And so it, it just shows you, the mix of people coming together to sort of take on whatever epic quest this is going to turn out to be seven books later. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a ton for this section, but I just kind of taken as a whole. Um, I think we're getting a really good, deeper understanding of why they're such an incredible group um, when collectively, you know? Now, help me out here, Rachel. I know somewhere in one of these sections, there's a spot where um little blaine mentions that big blaine thinks he's been left you know in um in this dead world somewhere else uh, away from where he is and mm. that he's managed to like tag along and survive but i forgot where that was at are you talking about in the halls of the dead yeah, exactly. So that is what trick one of the things that triggers Eddie. Um, it's in the previous longer section. Mm-hmm. Um, when when as soon as he says that, like it all kind of it ha- he has that moment where he puts it all together. Um, hold on, oh, is back. that where he has the shardic? No, wait, this, this isn't shardic, but it, it, the yes. North Central Positronics, and then he remembers the humming of the box and so on. Yes, and okay. like it all clicks for him that like everything is interconnected and that. Like, they're basically standing in the middle of the halls of the dead. Well, and the reason I wanted to, like, double back around to that one is because 
I want I wanted to like maybe think about for a second what it means for the halls of the dead to be described by an AI. <laughs> right. I'm like uh the inner Twinette is a series of tubes. Yeah, exactly. Also known as the hallways of the dead. <laughs> well, and, and so I I almost wondered if um the sentience of Blaine itself as he gets crazier and crazier, it's almost like um what's that movie that finished the um the i think it was it was right after glass and uh um i think it's called split oh well okay so it went it went unbreakable unbreakable split and then glass which i have not seen so don't spoil the end for me <laughs> okay well I'm, I'm not not glass but in split where um as that the gentleman gets crazier and crazier each of his personalities basically become an island yeah, And so it almost feels like because little Blaine is describing what Blaine did to the others. And then previously we'd heard that Blaine, uh, when he was still awake in his cradle, would have mad conversations and with his many voices, voices. with his yeah. many voices. Mm -hmm. So it almost to me feels like the halls of the dead was Blaine ridding himself of each of his little little like sub mm, AIs that, that are could their be own part of his personality. And so little Blaine as an example might be like the meek child representation of the full AI that has truncated itself mm -hmm. from Blaine. And then and this is a pretty decent leap. Um so take it for that. Um Blaine used to travel across the wasteland. Yeah. So what if during his travels across the wasteland when he was still mad and you could still hear the, s the sonic boom of his train taking off, mm -hmm. he was dumping out his little sub AIs into the wasteland in the form of like chunks falling off of him. I mean, that could be, that could be, why not? Cause I mean, the only death I can think of for an AI would be separation from, you know, a power source. Yeah. That could be. I don't know. That one, that one. It could also be just like erasing there. data, right? Like he could, no, he yeah, could literally true. be like rewriting his own code and like killing off parts of himself. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, well, I think I like your, actually, no, I was being a little over dramatic. I think I like yours better. Yeah. There's always room for a little more drama. All right. So what do you think overall of these sections? Uh, not bad, but all this does is leave your mouth like watering and yes. salivating for yes. the actual meal that's coming. Yes, um, agree. So, I haven't uh, read ahead, so I am hungry. <laughs> oh, every step of the way through here, you're just like, and then, and then, and then you don't get the end. Then you just get no end. Then <laughs> you get a bunch of cliffhangers. Yep. So uh, it's really good, and I like what's going on. But I couldn't do what you did. I ended up just flying past this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i try not to because i feel like when i do too much of what my opinions are informed by the future and as i was saying before when we were recording before even though i have read all of the books i'm coming to the realization that i don't remember almost a lot anything. of stuff yeah i remember some key moments so i'm kind of now preserving it because my thinking is is like you have a like the large scale 
like view of it. And I have a very small scale. And so whether people are longtime constant readers or someone who's reading through these for the first book, like we each represent a different kind of reader. So I'm being like trying to be really good about compartmentalizing. I did cheat a little bit because I had to know what the room looked like last time. So I was like, <laughs> you cannot leave me with this. And then I was like, oh, okay, whatever. It's not that crazy. Um, Although but... we did spend probably 20 minutes talking about the room. So yeah, I guess that's true. That is fair. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm trying really hard, but this section in particular was really hard because we left my 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 little baby oi in peril. I don't <laughs> like it. So I mean, I know it's probably going to be okay, but ugh, I don't remember. I don't remember if he gets hurt or you know, I'm like dreading it. So um, yeah, so I also liked these sections. It was very hard to stop. Um, there was some fun world building, some frustrating stuff with Roland, which I'm sure like all the Roland f heads are going to come out and be like, you're being too hard on him. But oh, well, I don't care. It's my opinion. Um, <laughs> and, and I love Roland. I just I you the people you love frustrate you the most. Right. So. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm excited of what's to come. Like uh, I had completely forgotten about what the Tic Tac Talk Man was like. And so I'm I'm very into that. Um, I remember generally Blaine, but I didn't remember all the nuances. So this has been really fun to revisit him. And and like, I yeah, I love all the subtle world building because we all know I love that. And there was a lot of that in this section. So I, I enjoyed it. For some reason, I remembered Blaine as like the Wizard of Oz behind yeah, the curtain sort of thing. Scary as he, I didn't remember him as being as scary as he is. Yeah, I kind of, and I, I almost completely had forgotten about Little Blaine until mm, uh, he showed up. I was like, well, what? Forgot. Little Blaine, I don't remember you, dude. What are you up to? Right? <laughs> Where you been, bro? <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. Okay, so for those of you at home who are reading along, the next section we are going to be covering, I think there's only, I was telling TJ, there's only two left in this book before we move on to Wizard and Glass, which I'm also so excited about because I, it's another book I remember nothing about. Um, So we're going to be reading... Okay, The Wastelands, book two, Lud, A Heap of Broken Images, chapter five, Bridge and City, sections 31 through 40. So again, it's about a little over an hour's worth of, uh, if you're going the audiobook. So, all right, cool. Connections to the Stephen King universe, I didn't pick up on any. If I missed them, please write in because I do try to keep my eye out for them, but nothing that I saw stood out to me. Uh, there's no Stephen King adaptation news still, sadly. I feel like I'm going to be repeating myself every episode for a while. There is a really interesting podcast coming out, though. Um, and I, I'm not trying to send you away from us because I want you to stay with us. But it's a limited podcast that Mike Flanagan is doing over six weeks covering The Stand, along with some other really great people. Like, So I'm going to say it wrong, but I believe it is Tana Reeve Dew. She is an award-winning novelist who teaches Black horror and Afrofuturism at UCLA, along with some other folks are going to be going through um, The Stand. And like and they want people to read 200 pages a week. I don't know if I'm going to read along, but I'm definitely going to listen. So, so that's kind of fun. <laughs> uh, now is a great and also terrible time to revisit The Stand. I guess that just leaves us with our question from the Facebook page. As I mentioned off the top, we are going to be doing a dream casting. So, oh, and we did get a listener from, we did get some listener feedback. Sorry, pause before we move on. Really quickly, I, I, I got a really nice letter from um, a, a reader named Dave. Reader. Oh, I guess he is technically a reader. A listener named Dave who has offered to be our gun guru. So like anytime we have a gun question, we now have someone that we can turn to and ask gun related questions. So Ooh. DJ. 
as we move forward, as like the gun stuff comes up, if you find yourself wondering anything, let me know. I'll put you in touch with Dave or I'll reach out to Dave because he is our new official gun. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, SME subject matter expert. Yes. Our, our SME. We'll go with that. <laughs> so Dave, thank you so much for getting in touch and you'll probably be hearing from us soon. All right. Back to the Facebook question. So I've been every episode trying to put a question onto the Facebook page because I love to hear from the listeners. I want more listener participation. Um, I encourage you guys to go onto the Facebook page and post all kinds of crazy. Anytime you see something interesting about Dark Tower, feel free to throw it up on the page. We are lurking there and love to see it. Um, so this time I asked them to do a dream drafting of our our, hero, our heroes. I think we're seeing it a little deeper into my psyche. Our villains, Gasher and the TikTok man. Do you want to start with their suggestions or do you want to give yours first? Um, It doesn't matter. Either way is fine with me. I, I feel like if we start with ours, it might be better because as soon as you hear theirs, they're probably better than ours. That's probably a really good point. So why don't we start with ours? Okay, DJ, let's start with the, with uh, Gasher. Who would you cast to play Gasher? So this is going to be a little weird, but... I think you might find a warm place in your heart for a Mr. John Malkovich as Gasher. Oh, interesting. So yeah. have you ever seen any of, of John Malkovich's theater performance? No, but oh, I, he, I immediately thought of um, Shadow of the Vampire where he's like Nosferatu. He's, he's a pretty crazy and like easily foaming at the mouth type of actor on stage. Mm-hmm. And has so much range and depth. And then he also has kind of that weird face. And yeah. mm-hmm. like the eyes being offset. So the first thing I thought of was like, man, if John Malkovich could like play this over the top and make you feel uncomfortable as he did it. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a really good one because he is best when he is a villain, I think. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. Okay. So my gasher I picked was the one and only Brad Dourif. Brad Dorif, I gotta look. So he, up you probably, I mean, you. So I'm gonna send you a picture. I'll put it in our chat, um, and I'll put it on the Facebook, not on the Facebook group, but I'll put it in the um. Maybe I'll put it on the Facebook group. I don't know. Oh, I'll put I, it somewhere. I recognize him from tons of Stephen King stuff. Right, he's been in Stephen King stuff. Here's a picture of him from Lord of the Rings. I'll just put it in our Facebook chat. Um, and he also is the voice of Chucky, the original voice of Chucky. Well, probably... and also the actual uh, guy that gets uh, yes, ingested right. into Chucky at the beginning of the movie. Yep. You are correct. So, and you and I both love Fiona Dorif, his daughter, who was in Dirk Gently. We yeah. talked about her. Who looks just like him. It's crazy. Oh, um, does she? I guess I never really thought about yeah, it. Yeah, she looks just like him. It's wild. Like, you put Ooh. a wig on him and, or and yeah. I mean, she's very beautiful, but she looks just like her dad. Um, So, I, he was so creepy as Wormtongue in um, uh, Lord of the Rings that I thought he might be perfect as Gasher. Like, you could see him kind of, he has that, like, crazy energy that i think you need to have and i could see him pulling off the like very stylized dialogue and he also can like once he, he could have this bravado about him but as soon as he gets in front of the tiktok man he's like you could see him totally cowering so so yeah Brad dorf is my pick for gasher hmm. so um some of the listener suggestions tim says he'd like to see andy circus gasher andy circus he was Gollum. He does a lot of motion capture. Like he did all of the motion capture for Caesar and Planet of the Apes. Oh yeah, he's okay. kind of a weird I, I looking dude. This guy. He he sort of looks like the um the dude from the uh, um crap that 
where they try to make the play that flops about Hitler in springtime. Oh, oh, the producers. Yeah, he looks like the dude from the producers in the birdcage. Nathan Lane? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, like, I can see them, like, playing brothers, maybe. Sure, why not? <laughs> well, some of these pictures, like, a younger him with him shaved, he, like, looks basically like like they're the same man, only he lost some weight. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, so, uh, Charissa says she would like to see Jack Nicholson as Gasher. Ooh. Can you imagine? I mean, like, he could bring some wild energy to that role. Yeah, I, I think if it was Jack Nicholson, he would have, like, the flair, you know, so I And he I has imagine... the simmering sexuality that could be scary. Yeah, I could imagine, like, a Joker-esque Jack Nicholson style of dancing about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, slapping Jake and considering... You're totally right. He could bring Joker energy. Ugh. <laughs> okay okay that's a good one okay well, angela suggested bill sarsgaard for both roles <laughs> <laughs> that's a weird one. i actually thought about bill sarsgaard for tiktok man briefly but he's just too young he's too young but, and too clean but i do like i mean if you think about the rising eyes his eyes are that could that could work you know what i mean yeah. but uh, uh so angela said bill sarsgaard for both but sh she was mostly joking <laughs> but i mean <laughs> Also, kind of, yeah. So here is the actual correct answer that comes from our friend Craig. He says the person who should play Gasher is Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I mean, Willem Dafoe should play everything. He's have, such you, a creepy dude. have you seen The Lighthouse yet? No, I have not. Oh my god! If you want, if you are a Willem Dafoe fan, you must see The Lighthouse because he, you know when you talk about going full nick when nick cage goes full nick cage that movie <laughs> allows Willem defoe to go full defoe he would be perfect with that like the, like uh, craig says because of his creepy smile he also like if you think about like antichrist he also has upsetting sexy energy that would be good for gasher so he would be a great gasher i think so let's move on to tiktok man who i i think you've already tipped your hand but who is your tiktok man oh it was obvious mr arnold schwarzenegger from the days of uh arnold brooding and speaking very little in the conan the barbarian mm. and and mostly this comes just from the description of the tiktok man uh in like you know what i imagine would be uh skinny jeans shirtless long blonde hair yeah and like draped across the throne with a brooding confidence yeah and if you take all of those statements in in a row and then apply them to the very end of conan the barbarian where he's on the throne after he's taken his kingdom yeah uh, that's 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 him okay. right there I can see it visually. I think it works. The minute he has to talk, I'm less. No, convinced. no, yeah, I wouldn't. I would never put. The... Would you like dub him with someone else? <laughs> <laughs> like Jack Nicholson dubs over him. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, uh, Arnold has the look. Definitely yeah. not the delivery. So, I, you don't almost need like a Jim Carrey delivery over the top of. So I thought about Jim Carrey for Gasher. That's who I. He was my backup selection. So if you think about Jim Carrey from the perspective of some of his horror movies, like yeah. um, 23, I think was one of them. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I think I alluded to that earlier on when I was like, yeah, like 23, you know, where you see everything. Um, the, the, that Jim Carrey would probably 
be able to pull it off. The problem is, is Jim Carrey's like sort of tainted with all the weird Jim Carrey stuff that it's gone on. Yeah. That like it's the same as Tom Cruise and some of the other folks that have gone a little bit overboard that it pulls me away from the gravitas of his acting to know that those other things are going on. So my TikTok man, which by the way, I totally when you said yours came from the eighties, you know who I thought you were gonna say who? Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren? <laughs> the poor yeah. man's Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yes, but I mean, he has the blonde hair. He looks like a Viking. I don't know. The Dean Koontz to... to oh, uh, shot. Fired. Fired. <laughs> Brutal. Okay. So, all right. My TikTok man is, again, like, I, I, I feel like I overthink this, but I can't help myself. It's dream casting, right? So I was like, I need somebody who is tall. I need somebody who is physically imposing. And I need someone who can be charming one minute and has the and can be scary the next. And they have to have something unique about their eyes because there's so much focus on the appearance of their eyes. So I ended up landing on Michael Shannon for my TikTok man. Do you know who this is? I am Googling quickly Michael Shannon. I got some sort of football baseball player. What? Oh, when I Googled it, it was okay. some baseball player. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's not him. Look, click on the link I gave you. I clicked on it. I do not recognize this guy. And he was in Bug. Did you ever see Bug with him and Ashley Stewart where they like think there's bugs in their body? Yeah, I did see that. Okay, he's the guy from Bug. Oh, really? Yes. Huh. So he's someone to me who can like vacillate between being kind of likable and terrifying. And he's a big Viking looking dude, like slap a blonde wig on him. And he's just like Ragnarok city. So, so that's my TikTok man. Okay. So let's see what the, uh, the, uh, why do I keep saying readers? The listeners um, said, I accidentally clicked out of it. So let me go back in. Here we go. All right, so here are the suggested people for TikTok Man from the listeners. This is an interesting one that I would never have come up with, and I get it because of the eyes. I don't know about the rest of the description, but Tim suggests Alex Winter for TikTok Man. Do you know who Alex Winter is? Uh, Googling. Really? Like the Wayne's World guy? The, it's Bill and Ted. Yeah. Or yeah it's Bill, Bill from Bill yeah, from yeah. Bill. I mean, he has the eyes. That's a that's a super weird one. I I mean, but I kind of like the deep cuts. Let's see here. Um, okay, so uh, Charissa suggested the TikTok man be Anthony Hopkins. Ooh, Here's which the generation of Anthony? Hopkins? I think it would have to be him, like in Silence of the Lambs. Like if you think about those like close ups of his face when he's talking to Clarice, and it is like he's hypnotizing you. But do you he's think he's vital enough? Like uh, his virality. Well, his those hair is, like... is supposed to be blonde. It's like a graying blonde. And when he goes, they go into the room. They describe him as being not no one being old, but or not no one being young, but still in the prime of their life. Which to me says like middle age, late middle age. So like fifties, I think probably is the outside, and he was probably about, and he's probably in his fifties in that, right? Yeah, I don't know. He was he was a lot older. Um, I was kind of thinking like th- there's a couple of earlier uh, movies where he was sort of like still a bit ripped. Yeah, I vote. I vote yes. 
No, Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. Through Anthony Hopkins entire. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. I'll see you next week. <laughs> yeah, no, right. Um, let's see here. Imagine TikTok. Okay, no. So here's a little twisty twist. Um, Gigi suggests Andy Circus for TikTok man. Andy Circus. He's the one we very first looked up that played like Gollum that you think hmm. looks like Nathan Lane. Yeah. So she had a few suggestions. So Andy Circus, Steve Buscemi, Steve who has Buscemi? the eyes. Yes. He has the eyes, but again, that's another one where like I can't imagine a, a single point in Steve Buscemi's career where I thought of Steve Buscemi as looking um uh, uh healthy. That's true. <laughs> okay, fair. Point taken. And then finally she suggested Jackie Earl Haley, who I think is scary enough, but I think he'd be a better gasher because he's like teeny tiny. And he doesn't he doesn't strike me as a Viking, but I still love the rook. I think she's getting the spirit right though. Don't you know? I mean, like all of them are definitely creepy dudes with interesting eyeballs. I mean uh, he's another one where like I just go back to when he was um uh uh the the, the moving morphing face in the Watchmen. Yeah, and, Rorschach. Like, Rorschach. Yeah, yeah, Rorschach. And I can't I can't picture him as being like uh, a virile or having any sort of like not because yeah. he's he, everything i can visualize him and he always looks pretty unhealthy and like yeah like well i think maybe borderline home, homeless i think maybe our quest now is to find a role for jackie Earl Haley because there's a, a lot of agreement in the chat that he needs to be some he doesn't have to be gasher or tiktok he just needs to be somewhere in our movie so our our goal our quest our quest now our dark tower quest now is to find a, the perfect role for jackie Earl Haley. i think so there's one other actor and you probably know who he is i can't remember his name but he he starred against um, – he was in – one of the first things I remember him in was in an X-Files episode where Jack Black could control lightning. And he, like, was the – he was the straight man to Jack Black. And it is – yep, it's yep. the it's Giovanni Ravisi. Yeah, I love him. He was – he's great in everything. All right, so I feel like we did a pretty good job. Do we have – out of all of those suggestions, are there any standouts? I mean, I think definitely – Defoe. The role of Gasher has to go to Willem Dafoe, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, what about TikTok Man? Uh, TikTok Man, I think we're still up in the air. I yeah. actually, now that I've mulled over um, your Dean Koontz uh, uh, suggestion, I, I could say Dolph Lundgren. May, Dolph, may you well. like Dolph? Do you like old Dolph? Because at least he could deliver a line that doesn't sound, you know. He was goofy. really creepy in Johnny Mnemonic. Oh yeah, he, he's done a ton of of good like b movie stuff all right okay so our front runners are probably dolph lundgren and then i'm gonna keep mike michael shannon in the mix we'll see whose schedules like work out we'll like we'll extend offers to both of them <laughs> and we'll get into negotiation with both of them and see how it goes well dolph our... lundgren's probably the cheapest i would say <laughs> probably but this is our blockbuster movie we have an unlimited budget so we can have whoever we want I mean, if you skimp on Lundgren, you can spend on Defoe. <laughs> I feel like Defoe will work scale if he we give him the right character. And I think he's really <laughs> going to connect with Gasher. It's just like the kind of character that like people long to play. So mm. I, I think we're going to be okay. All right. Let's wrap it up. For those of you at home who have... You're hearing that podcast for the first time and you have better suggestions. Like, we screwed it. You want us you to suggest someone new? Or you just want to get in touch and be our, our, you know, expert in some other aspect of the podcast. Whatever the case may be, 
Drop us a line at castofcaw at zombiegirls.com. Join us over on the Facebook. Leave us a, make a post. Tell us what's on your mind. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on iTunes. All right, DJ, we're wrapping up. And every week I ask you, where can people find you on the internet? And every week you tell me, nowhere, I'm done with the internet. <laughs> but this time, I suspect you have something new to say. So if people want some more of this sweet DJ action, where can they find you on the internet? Well, uh, guys, we've revisited the Splattercast. Not the Splattercast per se, but the Dead Lantern podcast. Yay! Uh, the crew from the Splattercast getting back together after three years of hiatus uh, of our long 15 or 12. 12-year running podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're back together uh, discussing random stuff. Uh, this last week we covered uh, some some more fun uh, music choices as well as uh, the uh, wonderful world of Ernest T. Worrell, <laughs> which is, is a fun, weird deep dive. Um, so go check that out because that, that's pretty fun to do, and it's, it's got a lot of us. Uh, that's pretty much it. Um, you may soon see me popping up on Etsy with some uh, Dark Towers-themed art cool. and uh, possibly some wackadoo furniture. So uh, there's that for the future. Rachel, what about you? Where can people find you? Well, if you want some more of my opinions, you can check me out on the Zombie Girls podcast. You can check me out on the Stream Queens podcast. You can check me out on the More Deadly podcast. And once again, I'm continuing to fill in as the co-host over on the Here's Johnny podcast. Unfortunately, one of the hosts has COVID-19. So that sucks. Um, so I'm uh, I'm happy to fill in. Obviously, I wish it was different circumstances. But this week, we're going to be, what are we going to be talking about? Oh, we're doing a rape revenge episode. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. But here's the good news. I picked, I selected the films, and these are ones that I feel are actually have something interesting to say and are, are kind of fun to watch, I say, with like quotations around it. So, uh, yeah, definitely <laughs> check out any of those podcasts. All right, DJ, take us out. If you're a drinking person and you like uh, tasting ale, I have I do. a 10 barrel brewing smash passion fruit. Wheat beer that Ooh. tastes like the borderline between ciders and beers. And Ooh. I bring this up because we are at a border crossing between Ludd and a new world and area. Oh, look so at you. think of that as we smash through Ludd and into a more exciting time. Ooh, exciting. Also, that sounds delicious. It is really good. <laughs> I was trying to think of an excuse to bring it up, and I'm just like, there we go. It'll Rachel work. Just handed it to me. I'm going to stretch this one to the limit. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Later. Later.